Welcome to the Aggressive Life. Here's a helpful hint somebody out there needs. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Dirt, are you prepared? Oh, probably not well enough. Do you do you have a good attitude about Valentine's Day? Eh, back and forth. I gotta admit, I don't. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I just see it as a another way to give Americans something they have to do. We have to buy something again. I have right? to buy something yeah. again. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've, I gotta admit, I have a bit of a bad attitude about it. But, but it also is a good reminder. To tell someone close to you that I love you. That's right. You know, so that's the way I look. I I have a love hate relationship with it. And whether you like it or not, you got you got to play nice. You got to. Uh, you can't say to your special other, oh, "Sorry, I just have a problem with Valentine's Day." <laughs> no, that's to be you. Yeah, it's not going to get you very very far at all. So if you've got a sweetheart in your life, I want to make it easy for you. I want to help you in your relationship. It's about time you made some plans. You picked up a gift or at least got some flowers or got him a screwdriver, something like that. Whether you're single or dating, married blissfully or married painfully relationships, they're some of the most complex and rewarding parts of our entire lives. And that comes into focus around Valentine's Day. So today... We're going to give you some aggressive ideas to consider and to actually do. We're coming dang near close to 250 episodes of The Aggressive Life. 200. That's crazy, right? You counted those up, Dirt? Yeah. There's a list. BrianTome.com. There's a list of all of them. Sheesh. Wow. Dang. Well, Dirt, you've been great. Dirt, will you be my Valentine? Oh, for sure. Because I couldn't. Do I get a screwdriver? I'll get you a screwdriver, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one you put in your hand, not one you drink, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. yes you ever had a screwdriver, like a, a drinking screwdriver? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're not bad. They're good. Uh, yeah, Derek, you've been, you've been fantastic for 250 episodes. You really have been. Huge, huge blessing to me and, and to our entire audience. I I can hear Thank you. a hey, hey, and cheers going up from, from everybody. So there's some good stuff buried back there in the vaults that uh, all of them, which— uh, Dirt had a hand in. Actually, were you you were doing the aggressive life the first, earliest episodes? Were I you? Mean, or maybe one? the first two I wasn't as involved in, but pretty soon thereafter. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, and we're the better for it. So today, I say we've curated, not we, Dirt. Dirt has curated some of our favorite relationship content to push you forward. We're going to spend time with my wife, Libby, a sex therapist, not... Libby is a sex therapist, a different person. She's a sex therapist. She would have a more than the full-time job. We're going to spend time with my wife, Libby, semicolon, a sex therapist, semicolon, and under a big tent on the banks of the Ohio River. All this has been carefully chosen to not only give you some things to think about, but to give you some things to actually do about. Good thoughts won't change your relationships. Good advice won't push things forward. It's what you and I do. That's what matters. So take something here today and put it into action. If you haven't heard all these episodes or you need a refresh, you can find links in the show notes. That's enough of preamble. Let's get on it. We're starting with my wife of 35 years, Libby Tome. Last Valentine's Day, she joined me for a special Q&A podcast all about relationship. Let's go to it. First question, whoever wants to take it, tell us how you met and then take turns. What's the first thing you appreciated about each other? 
So this guy walks into church one morning, and w- the church was not big, so it was like, I don't know, 250 people. So you knew new faces. So this guy walks in. I was went in with my mom sitting catty corner behind you. And I saw the side of your head. And I thought, oh, wow. He had his hair looked like it had a little gray specks in it. So my assumption was, oh, this guy, he's established. He's. He's probably made something of himself, and he's cute. And I don't know what came over me. I leaned on my mom, and I said, hey, look over there at that guy. She, so she looks. He goes, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to marry him. And I know you hear people, girls, women say that all the time, but I honestly, I don't even know why it came out of my mouth. I just, I didn't even think. And quickly went home and told my brother and like friends I saw the guy I'm going to marry and they're like did you meet him I'm like no I haven't met him I just saw him <laughs> so what was it like a couple Sundays later you happen to be up front at the pulpit and I'm putting it together in my head oh my gosh this is the new youth guy and I just filled out a form to volunteer for him. (laughs) So my dad introduced us and um, handed you a resume. (laughs) Volunteer resume to be in the student ministry. And and I didn't have gray hair. I had just, I was in a hair show. (laughs) He had a free haircut. (laughs) You're in a hair show. Yes. So this lady put him in the hair show and frosted right. his hair like yeah, so exactly. it looked white it did really look kind of gray but yeah. it was so things progressed from there but i think what's important to to state is you could hear that story as it was and just assume oh my goodness uh you so you guys met your soulmate. Libby just noticed immediately her soul was connected to you, and that's why you've been going for 34 years. Libby and I have had this discussion a lot. We are not soulmates. When we got married, our souls melded before God, and we complement one another very, very well. We should get into that in a bit, but but you know, our marriage has had a lot of difficulties, and there's things about you that drive me crazy and things about me that drive you crazy. And so people just assume that if you've met your soulmate, if you saw someone across the room and said, I'm going to marry that person, that it's been, you know, bliss ever after. And it's and oh, that's yeah, just not the case. It's been mm-hmm. very, very difficult. Yeah. So yeah. next question, something that drives you crazy, Brian, this is specifically for you. How many unnecessary pillows do you have on your bed? Right <laughs> <now>? <laughs> uh, I cut back. Every pillow that isn't <laughs> the one that I sleep on or her is unnecessary. <laughs> and how many pillows is that, honey? It's five. It is not yeah, five. It's five. No, have, it's not five. I have three of the big ones and then two. I cut no. back. Yes, I did. You cut back from what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you, you did mention earlier things you appreciate. One yeah, of the things yeah. I appreciate right. about Liv, the very first date we had is she um, she cooked for me. And I noticed from right away that her she had a heart for service. Mm. Uh, I, I'd never been around somebody who wanted to serve other people. Mm. As much as she did that night, and as much as she's done for thirty-four years, it's, she's she's really, really remarkable for that. Um, I was just reading in my in my 
time with God in the morning, going through the book of Genesis, and Isaac needs a wife, and Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for him, and he finds Rachel, and the reason it's Rachel is because he notices Rachel is willing to not only get him water at the well, but she says, do you want me to draw water for your camels as well, which have been would have been a lot, a lot of money, and he goes, that's the one. That's the one will make a great wife. Great spouse is the person who's really up for serving you. And um, I think we do that pretty well. You do it way better than I do, but that's been amazingly for you. And this isn't a female thing. I'm, that's what I said. It's a spouse thing. I mean, men need to be great, great servants as well. I'm, I'm not at all implying that the secret of marriage is have a, have, have a wife that serves you. It's have a spouse that serves you and serve the marriage. Someone asked, when you're feeling disconnected, what are things you do to reconnect with each other? I think what we found as uh, holding keys to success with this is to find something to do with the other person. I think when we're not connecting, I don't think we have a great track record of, okay, let's sit down on the couch and let's talk about what we need to talk about and let's kind of reconnect. Those are important times, but I think when when we've really been far apart emotionally, I think it's been important to do something together physically. Take a walk, go camping, uh, you know, something something like that. So I think that's, I think, and maybe it's maybe that's just me, um, because I I connect better when I'm doing something with somebody than simply having an emotional transaction. What do you think about that? I would agree with that. I don't think it all has to be all that or none. I no. think, yeah, right. like, I think some of our morning times where you Brian has this little room. He's always he's very faithful, and he's always in there in the mornings. And you wait for me to come down, but um, I always got to call you down because you never want to come <laughs> well, down. You could always come up too. That's but anyway. When we sit in that little room. Just before the day starts. Yeah, that's nice. That it's a great connection. But we didn't do that. We yeah. we didn't do that always. And I love that little rhythm we have going right now. But I agree with you about the doing stuff together. Um, probably the best thing we ever started too late, maybe, but was overlanding. Yes, we needed we needed a hobby like that, life giving hobby earlier. Yeah. And I think that's part of uh, the years of intense difficulty we had was I was out on a motorcycle with buddies and we weren't kind of building into each other. I thought that was a huge mess. I think it's really important to, to, for, for couples to know what their routine is. When you watch like a tennis match or you watch golf, all those athletes, they have a specific routine. The number of times I bounce the ball before I serve it, how many practice swings I take, what I do. All of them have the exact same routine because it, it kind of cues their body and their mind to this is what I'm going to do now. And I think when it comes into our marriage, if we can figure out certain routines, that's a huge win. Like family dinners is one for us. Like there's always going to be a family dinner. Not we, we eat separately and it just puts us in the mode, right? And you just mentioned one that has become a routine, especially on you know a couple mornings a week. Uh, Friday mornings and Saturday mornings, like we're going to sit in this little room and, and just talk and sip coffee. And so sometimes we pray yeah. <laughs> together, which is really a beautiful connection point, I think. Right. 
Admit it. Valentine's Day puts sex on the mind. And if it doesn't, it probably should. Dr. Emma Schmidt is the founder of Hey Emma, a premier sex and relationship therapy practice located in my hometown of Cincinnati. What exactly does that mean? A premier, a premier sex therapist versus a run-of-the-mill sex therapist. Yeah, that's right. She's like the best. Somebody, there's She's somebody like the who works with therapist. sex therapist. Like her sex relationship advice really works, whereas the other don't. I think that's don't. it. Yeah, let's go with that. It okay. actually works. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, she's had over 8,000 counseling sessions. She's helped clients overcome barriers to intimacy and improve their relationship. We originally had her on the show in the midst of the COVID pandemic, but we were all over COVID talk. She came back in person in 2021 for a two-part episode answering listener-submitted questions on sex and relationships. Uh, let's jump into that and learn from her expertise. have it together as much as we think that we do. And I, exactly. and I think sex especially is just one of those topics that, one of those items, everyone feels like they're an expert or great at it, or everyone feels like they're supposed to be great at it. Mm-hmm. Right? Why right. is that? Well, I have no idea. I don't, well, I guess the people that I meet with don't feel like they're an expert at all. <laughs> they're confused. And I think um, culturally we're trained that we should have it all together. We should know what we're supposed to be doing and that it's supposed to work, you know, perfectly. But then we get together and we feel awkward or clumsy or we start creating walls between us and our partner around sex um, or we try and perform in a certain way. And so I think that there is, I think we th- we think that we should be experts, but I think that a lot of us are feel pretty clumsy when it comes to sex. So I've got a bunch of questions that I mentioned before that came from uh, our listeners in the aggressive life. Uh, I'm just going to start with my question first because I just thought we just know. Let's get back into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what defines a person as being great at sex? A person who's great at sex, great in sex, is someone who... So I think that depends on how you define sex and what your value is around sex. So... If sex for you is uh, what makes you great at sex is that you know how to connect with your partner really well and you feel like you know them and you feel like you um, can please them and uh, you feel like having an orgasm at the end of it makes great sex, then that's great sex for you. If it's that um, we're just connecting and it doesn't have to end in an orgasm, then maybe that's what great sex means for you. Or if it's um, just exploring and um, figuring out how to be one with my partner during that time. So I think it really depends on what defines great sex because it it really comes down to the individual and the, the partnership of what great sex actually means to them. Gosh, I think that's part of the whole problem when it comes to sex is there, there's really not a clear scorecard, is there? Right, yeah. So we're each individually bringing our assumptions and expectations into the union, into the encounter. Right. And, you know, it's it's bound to get fraught with tension and confusion. At least that's what I found in my sex life. Yeah, I think when we come in with those expectations, typically, I don't want to say we fail, but like if we can just get rid of those expectations and start to talk more, start to get to know our partner more, start to be curious about what do I actually want versus the expectations of what I thought I should be or um, what I'm bringing into the relationship of my expectations, when we can let that go and really start to be curious about what do I actually want and what does my partner need, then I think it creates a whole more intimate and more... Uh, satisfying sexual experience. 
Well, let's go through these questions. There, there's so many here. I'm just going to end up picking some of them because I'm sure you could just write a novel on a bunch of these. So let me let me just start going through. Again, these are your questions. We're just answering your questions. Here's one. What do you do when you have a marriage where one person has to have wants more sex or sex and the other person wants less sex or not sex at all? Mm-hmm. What's what's the way out of that situation? So this is what we call mismatched libido um, or desire discrepancy. And this is 99.9% of relationships. So what happens at the beginning of the relationship is you technically actually match your partner's libido. And so you think like, oh, we're on the same sexual track. Like we like the same things. We're the same frequency. This is great. But what happens is around that 18 months to two years, actually you start to level back out to what your natural sexual libido is. And this can feel tricky because a lot of partners will feel like, oh, I was tricked into this marriage or I was tricked into this relationship just to be able to for my partner to get married, but they don't actually want me. They were just manipulating me uh, with sex to be able to get in this relationship. But actually, that's pretty normal for your libidos to then level out around that 18 months to two years mark. So if you're experiencing that, that's very normal. But what happens then is we have to actually work towards sex. So a lot of couples, a lot of people want that spontaneous sex. But as I'm assuming, you know, like sex takes work. It's not going to just spontaneously happen. So with mismatched libido, it's not about just meeting the higher libido and it's not meeting the lower libido. A lot of times people assume that if you have lower libido, that that it's pathologizing that like you're the problem, but that's not always the case. Neither are the problem. It's just about trying to figure out how do we have a conversation and figure out what's going to work for us. So the person who has a low libido, um, talking to them and asking, well, how do you feel desire? What does desire look like for you? How do you feel intimately experienced? Like what does intimacy look for you? And how can the higher libido person start to increase that desire? So if desire for that person looks like Um, slowing everything down and having a full body exploration before they then have maybe some kind of other sexual experience, that's going to help you gain information about your partner. And the same with, you know, the higher desired person. Maybe the lower desired person talks to that higher desire and he or she says, um, you know, I like it when you come up and um, just take me. Like, I really love that. And so if you can think about, if you can get out of your own space and stop thinking so much about, I don't want sex or I want so much sex and think about how can I best love my partner in this situation, turn towards your partner, then I think that's going to create this unity that's super cool. Um, But sometimes we get so stuck in like, why isn't my partner, uh, why aren't they doing the things that I need? So if we can take a step back from that and really focus on how can I love my partner best, I think that is um, where true, true intimacy can come in that knowing and being known piece. This will be a fun question because Mm -hmm. you're actually going to like help us here. You, you, you've been helping us, but like tangible things that we could do. So this question, sex happens, but I don't feel connected to my spouse. Thoughts about connection, intimacy. So sex feels more like making love. Mm-hmm. Feel like making love. Remember that one? Do you remember that? that? No, I just see you on your motorcycle. That was bad company. I was bad company. <laughs> I just get these visuals. Baby, when I think about you, think about, okay. So thoughts about that connection, intimacy, what can we, what can we do? Not just general thoughts, but what, what, what tell a guy or a woman who has a hard time with this, what do we do for that? So the thing that I hear the most is sex feels like a chore or we're just getting it done. You know, the average time that people have sex is around five minutes. And so we can assume that that's just, I know five minutes, like from when we'd have the idea to orgasm or we're talking 
thrusting for five minutes. Um, so it is getting together, and usually it goes straight into thrusting. There typically isn't a lot of what we might call foreplay prior to that. So it's like, hey, do you want to do this tonight? And the person says, yeah, and then you, you know, potentially get on top, thrust, done. For five minutes. Five minutes. I am a loser. Five minutes? <laughs> what do you say you're a loser? <laughs> uh, enough about me. Enough about me. Let's just keep going along. So okay. intimacy, intimacy. Yeah. So I should also say premature ejaculation is very common. And premature ejaculation, sometimes uh, people have the wrong definition. It's a minute or less is what what defines premature ejaculation. So if you have that challenge, I highly recommend doing All some right. pelvic floor. Right. I'm not premature by okay, that okay. thing. But, you know, if, if five minutes is the standard. Maybe then, you fall into the norm statistically. Uh, yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, I'm very ADHD, so I could bring in a lot of things. I'm going to focus on the question. So, connecting. So, what we want to do is we want to figure out, like, how do we connect? How do we get out of this performance-based mentality of sex? So, performance-based meaning A plus B equals C. So, I get an erection, inner vagina, orgasm done. That's performance-based. But if we can really... Um, piece this apart and say, how do we slow down and get to know each other? So intimacy being that knowing and being known, how do I really get to know my partner? Um, What would it be like to explore their body? So I know I've talked about this before, but I think that this is so, so good. So if my partner is laying there and I just take my fingertips and I just start exploring their body and noticing what does it feel like to touch them? What does their skin feel like? What does that wedding ring mean to me? What does it mean like to, you know, go down their stomach and realize they've given birth before or just around their inner thighs and their labia or their penis and noticing the different textures and the different uh, what it feels like on my fingertips and what it does to me as I'm starting to do this. So if we can slow everything down and start to experience presence. So what do I see, taste, touch, feel, hear, and get into that, get into our bodies, then like the arousal is so much different. I'm out of like the things that I need to do for the rest of the day. And I'm really getting to know my partner's body and I'm really allowing them to get to know me. So I think if we can slow down and start exploring each other and start opening that up, then that making love piece, I think is going to come in a little bit more. But talking to your partner and I think that's the thing that holds us all back is that talk feels so uncomfortable um, and so awkward. But what I find from clients is when we can switch that mentality to this exploration and intimacy and connection type of sex versus performance sex, right. um, that shift between the couple is is huge. Right. Flying K Ranch. Today's episode is brought to you by them because I believe they're producing some of the most mouth-watering, healthy burgers, steaks, roasts I've ever had. They're in Findlay, Ohio. Flying K raises their beef with no hormones or antibiotics, so you know you're getting the most natural product. It's a family business partnering with state and national certification boards to ensure both cattle and customers are happy. You can find out more, place your orders at Flying kranchangus.com that's flying k ranchangus.com i'm liking it a lot taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last 2 years i've been drinking ag1 every day no exceptions at home on a hunting trip Camping off my motorcycle, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, 
every day, and it makes me feel ready to get moving. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to have it in the morning. I have a 12 ounce of water, so right off the bat, I'm, I'm helping my hydration every single morning. This is the one product, if I had to recommend one, I'd recommend this one to elevate your health. It's AG1, and that's why I partnered with them for two years. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. Get yourself some. We're finishing up today with a swift kick to the rear end from yours truly. This talk recorded live at one of the favorite things I do, couples camp. I do man camp, and my favorite camp of all the camps I do is called couples camp. Uh, I, I just love it. Maybe it's because Lib gets to be there with me. Maybe it's because men are incomplete without women. I don't know what it is, but it just it's one of my favorite things. And so what I did in this recent talk is I tried to reframe what we all need, and that is a understanding, a true vision from God on what is marriage? What's what's the point of marriage supposed to be? So no matter what the state of your marriage, if you're in one, no matter what the state of your dating relationship, if you might get married, couples camp may help you. Actually, couples camp would help you if you're not married. It's only for people who actually sign on the dotted line, couples. But I thought I think this talk for sure is going to help you or this little snippet. You're going to be able to spend time together at couples camp, laughing with your spouse, talking in a safe place with other couples, hearing other couples' stuff, having other couples hear your stuff, uh, just sharing, laughing, uh, enjoying fires, games, activities, wine time, all that stuff, be off the grid, push yourself and push your relationships to the next level. Thousands of couples have made this couples camp part of their routine and they found their marriages have been pushed forward. So registration for this year's couples camp, uh, which is April 26th to 28th is open right now. Claim your spot at crossroads.net slash couples camp. That's crossroads.net slash couples camp. Now let's get out there. So I found this true story. There was a uh, group of women who were, who were sitting around having a little bit of a, a retreat with one another. And, and then they were challenging one another saying, when was the last time you told your husband that you love them? When's the last time? So they all decide just to text their husband at that moment, just text to them, I love you, sweetheart. And here's the, the, here's the actual, this is a real story because we get these in pastor circles. Here's the exact, the exact responses that came back from these guys after they got a random text that said from their wife, I love you, sweetheart. One was, who the hell is this? <laughs> Another one, hey, mother of my children, are you sick or what? <laughs> yeah, and I love you too. What's wrong? <laughs> what now? Did, did you wreck the car again? I don't understand what you mean. (laughs) 
what the hell did you do now? Are you sure this is for me? Another one, if you don't tell me who this message is actually for, someone will die. Uh, your mother is coming to stay with us, isn't she? And then the last one, I thought we agreed you wouldn't drink during the day. <laughs> what I want to do right now, and we're going to continue to do it throughout our couples camp experience, but right now is I just want to hit the reset button on exactly what marriage is, what it exists for because there is a lie that exists that causes many of our marriages to struggle. And this lie is this, that your marriage is meant to make you happy. You don't need to laugh that, that loud. Jeez. The lie is that the point of marriage is to make you happy. The lie is the point of marriage is supposed to be romanticism 4.0. The lie is that marriage is the thing and happiness in your marriage defines whether or not your marriage is going the right direction. And why do I say this? This is the Hollywood narrative. The Hollywood narrative tells us if everything is easy, if everything isn't perfect, and if you found your soulmate, it should be all just bubblegum and kisses all day long. And when you don't have that, something is wrong. And that's why People aren't getting married in our culture, and that's why people aren't staying married, and that's why when people are in marriage, especially us who've come here for some sort of Christian message, we have our wires crossed because we don't really understand what marriage is. One of the more profound books I read uh, a, lot, a lot of years ago, and I don't remember all that much about the book, but I just remember the title and the subtitle. The, the, the title of the book is called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, and the subtitle on the cover was, what if marriage is made to, what if marriage is to make us holy and not happy? What if marriage is to make us holy and not happy? What is marriage? We have the very beginning of the book, the book of Genesis. It starts right off with the most important stuff, that God's the creator, that he does what he does. And then it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So men and women are created to represent God. We're created to be like God actually here on this world when we're together. Now, the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, 18, it puts it this way. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Another way to put this in different translation is I will make a partner for him. This doesn't mean men's the king of all that is. and The woman comes along to be his personal secretary. This idea of helpmate is that a guy is one way, a woman is the other way, and a guy isn't even like other guys and a woman isn't even like other women. There's such a thing as alpha females. When a man and a woman come together in marriage, they, they offset one another. They, uh, they complement one another. They do for one another what the other one can't do. That's the beauty 
of marriage. It's amazing. Makes us partners. We're not sex objects. We're not caregivers to our children, our co-partner. This person isn't our provider. This person isn't even our friend. They're our own flesh. They are one. And we, when we have sexual intercourse, we become one person. All the angles, all the parts are made to fit together. And when they fit together, God's blessed it that sex feels great. But what sex primarily is, is it's a physical example that I am now one with this person because spiritually I'm one with this person. And here's the other really crazy, crazy thing. It's not just that I'm actually one with this other person. That actually mirrors what God's trying to tell us is that we're actually one with God. Because the relationship that God has to us is mimicked in a marital relationship of a man and a woman being fully committed to one another for the rest of our lives, just like God is fully committed to us for the rest of eternity. And men and women are made in the image of God. And so this marital union communicates something about God that he is committed to us. Now, let me ask you this. Is God always happy with us? No. no. Does God always have this romantic, oh, I just love how that person is rebelling against me and I just feel these wonderful romantic feelings. Does God, does God, would God tell us that we are his best friend? No, that would be Jesus and the Holy Spirit with the Father, They're best friends. What if marriage is meant to make us holy and not happy? You see, our form of love in our core and cultural context in marriage is romanticism. It should be a Hallmark movie every day. We should just have flutters in my, 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 my stomach all the time. It should just, I should, oh, it just be amazing high after high. And then when you come into a thing like this, you're thinking like, if I'm not feeling that for my spouse, maybe we're in crisis. No, maybe you're just in marriage. <laughs> the, see, the problem with this romantic lie in our culture is that romanticism shatters. Just like that, it shatters. But love flexes. Love gives and takes. Romanticism comes and goes. It shatters. We can't handle it. One thing goes wrong, boom, it's gone. But love is flexible. It, it, it moves with it. If I were God, if I were God, what I would want to do is I would want to dummy proof for all of my children, for all of creation, what my nature is. And so you, you know what I might do? I might create two people who complement one another who are to be one, but yet they're different, similar to in the Trinity where there's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They complement one another, yet they're different. I would wanna do that and bring them together to model who I am, who my identity is as God, that I wed myself to other people and these people wed themselves in a covenant community and this is who I am. And if I was Satan, if I was the arch enemy of God that wants to do nothing other than throw black paint on God's beautiful oil canvas, I would come down and I would wage a holy or unholy war on all marriages. I would want people in marriages to not understand marriage, to think that it's hallmark on drugs, on steroids. I would want people to, in marriage to think it's all about them and all about their happiness. 
I would do everything I can to rip marriages apart. And this is why marriage is so devastating. It's not, or excuse me, why divorce is so devastating. It's not just the pain of it. It's that spiritually something is torn asunder because when there's a divorce and there's a splitting, it's like there's a splitting in the identity of God. But when marriage is holy, and I see it as something deeper, as something better, as something brighter, something powerful takes place. The moment you stop looking to your marriage to be the source of your happiness is the moment your life will start to go forward. God may have looked over all creation, all creation. This was told at my wedding. One of the more powerful things I ever heard. Uh, a, a woman that mentored Lib gave this illustration on wedding. It's, wedding has always stuck with me. God got up and he looked over all creation and he said, who is it that I can bless my son with? And God got up and looked over all creation and said, who is it that I can bless my daughter with? And he chose Brian for Libby and he chose Libby for Brian. And what Gene Yonicus was talking about there wasn't God found two soulmates and put them together who God had wired that. She was saying the attitude of my mind as a husband and the attitude of Lib's mind as a wife is we have to believe that God has placed this person in my life to make me holy. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By the way, him laying down his life for us, that was not a romantic act. There was no act of romance when Jesus died on the cross. In fact, he was sweating blood before he was taken away. But that's how we know what love is because love isn't primarily feelings. Love primarily isn't emotion. Love is me putting on my shoes, my big boy pants and going, today, I need to be Jesus to my wife. Today, I need to lay down my life for her. And today, her putting on her big girl panties and saying, today, I need to be Jesus to Brian. Because that's love. When I lay down my life, I lay down my rights. All the Bible is about laying down your rights. Jesus laid down his rights. When uh, in Philippians chapter two, God who being one with God did not cling, did not cling to all the basically divine prerogatives, but emptied himself. Jesus laid down his, life, his rights when he came to earth from heaven. He laid down his rights and he sweat blood. He was so stressed out about it and he went to the cross and yet he did. Are you willing to sweat blood for your spouse? Are you willing to get nailed on a cross for your spouse? I think for some of us, like things have like unlocked, like, oh, this isn't going to be, uh, this is going to change, this is not going to change everything in the next five minutes, but hmm, I've been on the Hallmark movie channel train for too long instead of on the Bible train. I've been on the ways of this world romanticism instead of the ways of, the ways of heaven of love, deep, abiding, sacred, never ending, difficult love. And we're going to sit in that alone. We're going to have solitude time. So just you and God, have a nap, have prayer time, go through that book and um, just get refreshed. I think he wants to pour into you. So Justin, go ahead and get us ready. 
Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. My new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.